This morning we'll be looking at Galatians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10, where we're kind of working our way through the book of Galatians. We've talked about how Galatians, uh, Paul wrote the church in Galatia this, this letter because they were letting these outside influences, these Judaizers, he was letting these people come in and, and be false teachers and start detracting from what Paul was saying. And, and they were saying, look what Paul did. He killed the Christians. He, he was persecuting the church. You shouldn't listen to him. You should listen to us. And the way that you attain salvation is through works. You need to, you need to be circumcised. You need to follow the laws. You need, to, you need to do everything and then add Jesus on top of it. And Paul just comes out swinging. He's like, no. That's not the way. This is the way. Yeah, I just quoted the Mandalorian. But this is the way. This is the way. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Galatians 2, 6 through 10. If you, have a pew, if, you, if you don't have a Bible, you can look on the screen. There's a pew Bible underneath. You can look on your phone. Whatever you need to do. Galatians 2, 6-10, And the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. By the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me, for God has no favorites. Instead, they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. For the same God who worked through Peter... As the apostle to the Jews also worked through me as the apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, James, Peter, and John, who were known as the pillars of the church, recognized the gift of, that God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. Their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor which I have always been eager to do. So one thing I always stress when I get ready to marry a couple is this one thing. One thing. I look the bride in the eye and I say, this is your day. This is your day. Pam? Domala? Is their couple name? Anyway. This is your day. I, I know it's the husband's day too. Doug's like, wait, what about me? And I always say this because I know this. The husband most likely have not dreamed about this day since they were little. They did not make veils and trains out of pillowcases and blankets. But the bride did. And I know that can be tricky. Because here's the deal. Once you get families mixed in, right? You get families mixed in and then things go crazy, right? And then the mother-in-law wants this. And the, the, the mom wants this. And then the sister wants this. And then this happens and that happens. And all of a sudden, the day has gotten away from the bride and, it, and it's stressful and it's, it's ridiculous. And, and, and sometimes it's like, I don't even care anymore. 
I just want to go to a courtroom. And some of you guys know what exactly what I'm talking about. This is your day. This is your day. Listen. Listen. When you have to do that, when you have, when you, when you have to tiptoe around, around family and tiptoe around his family and her family and, and things are just kind of crazy, you know what it's like? It's like walking on a balance beam. Right? It's like, it's like, like walking on a high cliff, right? And it's kind of treacherous, and you look on this side, it's a huge drop-off, and the wind is blowing, and you're trying to keep your balance, but on this side, it's like thorns and, thorns and brambles, and you're like, I, I can't, and you have to walk this tight, tight line, this tight rope. And when you read Galatians 2, 6 through 10, it's kind of what Paul is doing here. He kind of keeps going back and forth about the apostles, but yet me, the apostles, yet me. And he's kind of like balancing, and he's trying to cover all these different bases. Because he wants to give credit to the apostles. Peter, James. Like he, he wants to give John, he wants to give them their due and say, you know what, these guys have, have affirmed me. But at the same time, he wants to represent his authority because he has just as much authority as anybody else. He has just as much authority as Peter, just as much authority as James, just as much authority as John. And so he's trying to walk this tightrope by like giving proper respect and credence and yet also saying, but yet I have authority too. Jesus has given me a task too. Paul here in Galatians is still making the case for himself, still establishing his authority against the, the Judaizers, the, the false teachers. Paul is showing that he is partners in the gospel with James, Peter, and John, three of the original disciples. However, he is also making a point that he is equal with those guys and not just some sort of junior apostle. No, and in fact, as we have seen in the book of Acts and in the book, books of, uh, in, in Paul's letters, there were times where Paul had to correct the teaching of Peter. Paul had to correct the teaching of the early church. So Paul had to walk this balance beam. He had to carefully and delicately balance the affirmation of the other apostles and yet had to show that he was a co-laborer, that he had just as much authority as anybody else when it came to preaching the gospel and being appointed by Jesus Christ. That is why our passage here reads kind of like a pinball machine. Paul says, I'm approved by the disciples, but I don't need their approval. I've been affirmed by Peter, James, and John, yet I don't need their approval or their affirmation because I've been affirmed and and approved by Jesus. Partnerships are kind of like that, aren't they? Think about the organizations that you have belonged to. Coworkers that you have worked with. Partnerships that we have with our, with our spouses, with our families. All of those can be tough. We are trying to be unified, yet we are individuals. We want to be supportive, yet sometimes, and hopefully behind closed doors, we, we disagree with each other. Our partnerships in the gospel are the same way. Currently, we have five elders, we have four board members. 
and me. And there are many times we disagree with each other. Just let you in on what, what happens. Elders and elders and board members and elders and me and the board and me and elders. And elders. I mean, just there's always disagreement because we're all different people. Yet we want, at the end of the day, we want to be unified. We want to be able to leave the room feeling like we were heard, regardless of if we end up doing what I wanted or not. We want to leave the room being able to support the decision that was made and knowing that even if we were in the minority that disagreed, that everyone is supported, everyone is heard, everyone is valued. Paul had many different partners in the gospel, and if we are walking with Jesus correctly, we should have partnerships in the gospel as well. We should have partnerships in the gospel too. The good news is too important, Jesus is too valuable to not partner with others to help people find their way back to God. We have to make partnerships. So this morning we are going to look at what we can learn from Paul and Galatians from his partnerships in the gospel. So, partnerships in the gospel, number one, are like tightropes. I alluded to it earlier, but look at verse 6. And the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. By the way, the reputation as great leaders made no difference to me, for God has no favorites. Instead, they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. For the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle to the Jews also worked through me as the apostle to the Gentiles. Paul is walking along a real tightrope in this argument. And that's why he's writing with twists and turns the way that he is doing. You can see that down past his right foot is a sheer cliff, is a sheer drop off. Here on his left is peril. If he stresses too much the fact that James, Peter, and John approved of his preaching of the gospel to the Gentiles, his opponents will say, well, there you are. We told you. He just got it from them, and now he's got it all jumbled up. Just like we said he did. But then at the same time, you look down past his left foot, he can see the sheer drop to another cliff. If he labors the point that God doesn't care who's in the church, that all are equal in his sight, and that the Jerusalem apostles are ultimately no more important than anyone else, he runs the risk of breaking fellowship with the sinner, the pillars of the Christian faith. And for Paul, the unity of the church is absolutely vital. Unity is the summit of the mountain, the goal at the other end of the dangerous ridge. And because Paul is determined to get there in one piece, he keeps to the path even though he has to make sudden jerky changes in his direction. Church, our gospel relationships, our relationships with those in our church, our relationships with with other Christians in the community, our relationships with those that, that we are trying to reach for Jesus, those relationships can feel like we are walking a tightrope as well. I know I've told you this story before probably, but, but that is a picture of the great Blondin 
It's one of my favorite stories to tell. Blondin was a tightrope walker. And one day he get, you know, he announced, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cross Niagara Falls. And so so he 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 walks to the crowd and he says, before he gets on the rope, he says, Alright. How many of you guys know who I am? And they're like, Blondin, Blondin. Alright, yeah. Alright. Who thinks that I can make it across Niagara Falls on a tightrope? And it was like, yeah, yeah. And Blonde's like, okay, great. How many of you guys think that I can make it across Niagara Falls on a tightrope with somebody on my back? And he starts screaming, yeah. You, yeah, blinded you. And then, in great showmanship, in great show showmanship, he says, "Fine." Shh. And he quiets the crowd. Who's coming with me? Silence. Until. One man, out of the crowd, said, I will. And so for two and a half hours, Blondin and his man crossed the Niagara Falls. And they made it safe for the other side. Treacherous, right? Partnerships are like that. Making your way together across a tightrope. Trying to balance everything. Every relationship that we have can feel like that, can it? Notice Paul is trying very hard to preserve unity. Unity with the Gentiles. Unity with Peter, James, and John. Unity with Barnabas. And ultimately, unity with Jesus. And in the same way, we are to strive to keep unity in our relationships as well. Notice I said strive. While Paul tried to keep unity with everyone, there were times where Paul had to break unity with people because sometimes keeping unity means going against what Jesus was calling Paul to do. And when that happened, Paul said, I can't do this. Church, I believe that many times we are too quick to write people off and break ties with them because we don't believe what they don't believe. That's a problem in our church. That's a problem with Christian America. I'm such a fan of Augustine who said, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. So many times we make out non-essentials essential. However, on the flip side, there are times when well-intentioned Christian people need to stand up and say, no, I refuse to affirm this, whatever it is, and say it is acceptable in the eyes of the Lord. But here's the deal. As a person, you probably kind of lean toward one way or the other. You're willing to say, it doesn't matter what you believe, we just need love and puppy dogs and rainbows. Or you, you're on the other side and you say, well, 
I can't agree with anybody on anything because they don't agree with exactly what I say or do. Do do you, do we, have enough self-knowledge to know what side we lean toward on that scale? Are you more tolerant to a fault? Are you more opinionated to a fault? Both can lead to pitfalls and hurting your witness to those that are looking to your walk for answers. This Christian life, this gospel life, is oftentimes like walking a tightrope. Number two. Partnerships in the gospel are rich in fellowship. Look at verse 9. In fact, James, Peter, and John, who were known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. Does it seem as if Paul actually had spent time with those other guys? I think so. They recognized, they accepted, they encouraged. Those are all things that can only happen when you spend time with people. Now listen to Acts 2.42. You guys probably know this verse. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Or how about Acts 2, 46 to 47? They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all, while the, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those that were being saved. The early church was all about fellowship. They were all about spending time with each other, about getting to know each other, about rubbing shoulders with one another. This last year plus has been rough for that. I know. But I hope you were still able to find ways for fellowship. Be it through a Zoom call, through texting, through FaceTiming, through going outside and taking a walk with someone. I hope that you were able to find ways to have some fellowship. My best friend Adam and I were able to meet up twice over the last year. For us, it's not much, right? My best friend. Besides my wife, of course. We Zoomed more, you know. We we talked and chatted more, but we met up twice. One time... We, went, we met in, uh, he lives in Springfield, so we met in Beardstown, about halfway for both of us, and we just went outside, and we walked around this park, like 3.1 miles, talked, and then we went our several ways. Another time we went, and we, I, went, I was in Springfield for a doctor's appointment, so afterward, we just grabbed Jimmy John's, and we sat on a bench Next to, each other, next to each other and just chatted. It's been rough. Relationships are so important. If COVID did nothing else, I hope that it stressed how important relationships are. Listen, Paul knew these pillars of the early church, and those pillars 
knew him. They encouraged each other. They sharpened each other. They had unity with each other in Jesus. Did they always agree? Nope. They did not. However, they agreed on what was really important. And the rest, they could put aside and work together. Last week, we had a baccalaureate service for all of Southeastern at the Assembly of God Church in Augusta. And there was all kinds of pastors and and churches involved. And guess what? I don't agree 100% with all of them. There are churches, I just, I mean, they believe this and I don't. They believe this and I don't. So I had two options. Okay, well, I don't agree with you on this, so I can either not be involved, or I can say, you know what, here's the deal. We all love Jesus. We all think he is the only way to be saved. We all think that it is important and of utmost importance to love God and to love people and that we can put these differences aside and serve the senior class of Southeastern High School. And that's what we did. And something else, there is a lot of purple in the Augusta Assembly of God Church. Like, my eyes were burning. It was very pretty. They they were great. But I was like, good grief, that's a lot of purple. Finally, partnerships in the gospel means helping those in need. Look at the last verse, verse 10. Their only suggestion was that we keep helping the poor, which we have always been eager to do. Church, can I be real for a moment? Not that I'm ever not real, but can I be real for a moment? The Bible talks over and over again about helping those in need, the poor, the downtrodden, the orphan, and the widow. You want proof? Jeremiah twenty-two sixteen. He gave justice and help to the poor and the needy, and everything went well for him. Isn't that what it means to know me, says the Lord? Look at the book of the law, Deuteronomy 15.10. Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. How about the wisdom book, Proverbs 14.31. Those who oppress the poor insult their maker, but helping, but helping do, uh, the poor honors him. Proverbs 21.13. Those who shut their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their own time of need. Okay, okay. I know that's Old Testament. How about the New Testament? All right. How about this? 1 John 3, 17 through 18. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Okay, okay. How about just Jesus? What does Jesus say about it? Okay, here we go. Matthew 25, 37-40. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Jesus, if you get nothing else this morning, understand this. Jesus demands that we who love him 
give to the poor, help the needy, and serve the least of these. Why did I... Why was I like banging the drum so hard about the micro pantry? Is because I know summer is here. Summer is here. And there are a lot of families in our community that need food for their children because probably because they spend it irresponsibly. Let's just let's get that out of the way, but it doesn't matter. Kids need to eat. Kids need to eat. I don't care if the parents are being irresponsible with it or not. Their children need to eat. That's why we have the micro pantry. I hope people start to use it. We, 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 we blitz people with advertisements for the high school and the, and, and, and the elementary school, but that's why. Church, can we just love each other? Really, that's what I see here. Can we just serve together? Can we just agree on the big things and agree to disagree on the not-so-big things? Can we fellowship and spend time with one another? Can we stop dickering about dumb things and spend our time instead helping those in need? I think that if we filled our time with doing that, then we wouldn't have to worry so much about being right all the time, about offending everyone or, or being offended all the time. We have too much to do right here. We have too much to do in this community. Unity should be our goal. Unity should be what every believer, every devoted follower of Jesus should be shooting for. Yet we become more and more divided every day. Just look around. Division is killing us. It is killing the church. It is causing the church to lose credibility and effectiveness. There are too many people that need Jesus in the world. Let's agree on the main stuff. Let's understand everyone is different. And as long as we believe that Jesus is the only way, and that He is the only way to be saved, that He demands our life and our all, and that we can all, all of us, can be brothers and sisters, and we can get on with our mission of helping people find their way back to God. That's what it's all about. I was talking to my friend Darren this week. He said, you know, it's just really hard because coming out of COVID, you know, and, and his, he's, he works at a really big church, and, and, and you know, they've been online for a, for a long, long time, and they're, they're coming out of it, and, and they're trying to get people back, and they don't know what the numbers are. It's just really confusing with people online and people, people in the pews, and it's just, it's just rough. And he said, you know, here's what I finally realized. They want to know, how many people do we have going to church? How, many people, how does this work? Like, He says, the only thing worth measuring is this. Are we doing what God has called us to do? That is what the measuring stick is. Are you doing what God has called you to do? The Holy Spirit takes care of the rest.